The Positive Pause is a motivational-minded podcast covering topics women want to know about as they journey to and through menopause, focusing on subjects that impact women's health and healthy aging, including what it means to age healthfully. The Positive Pause features experts and influencers from a variety of industries and specialties. The information and opinions expressed on The Positive Pause are not intended to replace the services of trained professionals or to provide specific medical advice. To see the National Menopause Foundation's full medical disclaimer, please visit nationalmenopausefoundation.org. Welcome to The Positive Pause. I'm Claire Gill, founder of the National Menopause Foundation. I'm excited to speak with our guest today, Dr. Heather Johnson. Dr. Johnson is an actively practicing gynecologist in the DC area and recently retired obstetrician after delivering babies for 40 years. She received her MD at Yale University of Medicine and completed her residency training in obstetrics and gynecology at Walter Reed Army Medical Center. Dr. Johnson is board certified in obstetrics and gynecology, as well as a fellow of the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology. She also served in the U.S. Army for eight years prior to going into private practice in 1987. She's the author of two books, What They Don't Tell You About Having a Baby and What They Don't Tell You About Menopause. For more information about Dr. Johnson and to read some of her pearls, you can visit her website, askdrheatherjohnson.com. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. I appreciate it, Dr. Johnson. It's a pleasure to be here. So you've been practicing in gynecology and obstetrics for decades, and as I noted in my intro, you recently retired from obstetrics after delivering more than 3,500 babies. That's a lot of babies. Um, We're excited to see more OBGNYs focusing on the gynecology aspect and continuing to care for women and and their health after their reproductive years. Why do you think this is so important? Because it's such a huge part of everyone's life. If we're lucky enough, we get there and it takes up a few decades and the ramifications continue even after the, quote, last menstrual period. In the 80s, uh, menopause stopped being the M word and you were able to slowly start saying it out loud. And I found that there was just a wealth of misinformation and a dearth of any helpful information. And so that became a popular uh, subject to talk about. And I went with my back then slides um, from place to place talking to women's groups uh, and was amazed at the reception received, um, the excitement of someone actually speaking about this topic um, without covering their eyes and feeling embarrassed. Um, So then there that continued. And then my patients started aging and they started going through menopause. And then I amazingly started aging and I went through menopause. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, all of these decades kind of combined together. And it's it's such a full topic because there's psychology, there's medicine, there's endocrinology, there's sexual activity. There's, there's so many things. Yeah. And it's the same thing. It's something even for women too. It's sort of after we get past our reproductive years, we think there's no reason for me to see a gynecologist again. I'm not, you know, doing that. And so I was wondering if, you know, if you're seeing that trend, as we talked about, you're, you're a member of ACOG, and are you seeing that trend among your colleagues? Are people, you know, thinking about gynecology and, and after their obstetrics career? Will we have more of you, in other words, out there that are focused on women's health after, after our reproductive years? I think so. 
I think so. Um, and even younger people, um, we have a couple of nurse practitioners in our practice who are very much interested in that, and they're still in their reproductive years. Hmm. Um, so it's it's brought out in the open. They're fascinated by it, and they, they want to learn something other than textbook information so that they can help their patients. Yeah, I think it's really interesting what you said, too, about all the different things that we need to consider post-reproductive years, like you said, with endocrinology and psychology and all of those kind of things, that it really is a much more holistic approach to health than once we're past our reproductive years, because there's so many things to consider. What do you think are some of the biggest misconceptions about, about menopause or about women entering menopause? I think some of it is when it actually happens. Back in the day, you know, people, women got to be 40 or 50 and they declared themselves old and kind of sat on the couch, became a little frumpy. Um, you wouldn't see people in their late 40s, early 50s in yoga pants, running, doing Pilates, doing everything. And so women are staying young much longer. You know, the old 30 is now 40, getting up to 50. And they are surprised when their body doesn't do the things that younger people did when they start to skip periods, when they start to have hot flashes, when they start to have vaginal dryness, and they think, well, that's for old women. Mm -hmm. And yes, it is, but you are actually older than, than you used to be. Also, the fertility issue, because we've extended it so long. Right. Um, I have so many patients uh, in their 40s who are still uh, expecting to be able to have babies simply because they're having regular periods, and they've sadly put things off a lot longer than they really should have. Right. Expecting because they're healthy and vibrant and run marathons and eat at Whole Foods that they'll still be able to reproduce. Yeah. And I, I think that's true. I think we sort of, you know, never anticipate that we're going to reach that that age where that's not happened. Although I was, uh, I was mentioning to you earlier that I became a mom later um, in my 40s. And um, I remember when they referred to it as a geriatric pregnancy. I was like, what are you talking about? They have the worst names for it, you know? And so um, I laugh now with other moms because they started at like 35 or 36. They start calling it a geriatric pregnancy as well. So again, I think then we become very aware that we are not the norm and that it's supposed to be done earlier, you know, but. It's now kindly referred to as um, elderly. I mean, no, um, Elderly Davida, yeah. Or, oh, elderly. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I was going to say with advanced age. maternal age. Advanced maternal age, yes. Yeah. My practice is a little unique, and so the average person is 38 who has a baby in my practice. And wow. I've delivered a 56-year-old, and we have actually more women in their 40s than in their 20s having babies. So it's not something I'm the least bit afraid of and wow. have wow. more information on. That's an interesting, that is an interesting trend. Yeah. I felt like, I felt like I was one of the only ones doing it. However, as I mentioned, my mother did have children later, so it wasn't completely a surprise to me. And, and I knew I could do that kind of stuff, but that's really interesting. My gynecologist would trot me out into the waiting room to show me as an example of a 40 year old woman who became pregnant naturally to show that it could be done. Relax. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right, I'll be an example. <laughs> so um, like we talked a little bit about, again, there, there's so much, there was like a dearth of, you know, uh, misinformation and stuff out there. And I was looking around on, you know, Google and stuff. And I think there's like 75 books about menopause now. There are all kinds of stuff. What inspired you to, to write your book specifically about menopause? And I know you have one on, on what to expect when you have a baby as well, right? Actually, my patients. I 
kept abreast of everything from the from the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, North American Menopause Society. But in my lectures and then when my patients came into the office, there were the same questions over and over again and the same misinformation over and over again. And the book is really a compilation of, of all of those things, the ones that people call back about or the ones that they mention as I'm getting ready to leave the room. <laughs> oh, by the way, I have pain with intercourse. And I just felt that if those come up over and over and over again to a practicing gynecologist, um, it, they come up over and over again to all women. And I thought if I could compile them in, in a user-friendly, easily readable way, it would be helpful. Oh, that's great. And it is really user-friendly, easy book. And as I said, we'll have links to it uh, with this with this podcast as well, so people can address it. Because that's what women want. We don't have a lot of time. As you said, you know, things have changed so dramatically. We're all super busy now. Everyone's still really active, running around doing all of these things. And so trying to find the right source of information and to sort of digest all that there is to know is is really hard to do in our time-crunched world that we live in these days. So it's really great to know where to go to get the right resources. And so terrific that you have your book. Um, you mentioned about, you know, the women dropping the big question on you as you're about to walk out the door. But many women tell us that they're uncomfortable speaking with their, their clinician about menopausal symptoms. So what advice do you have for women about either starting the conversation or continuing the conversation if they feel like they've maybe been put off, you know, when they asked before? Yeah, well, first of all, your provider should actually ask you. Interesting. Once you get to a certain age, that should be part of the problem. I always ask, um, you know, I ask, first of all, if they're sexually active once they get past a certain age. And if so, are there any pain or problems or do they want STD screening? And so the ones that wait to the end are still a little embarrassed and they'll say, well, you know, you asked me about pain with intercourse, but this is a natural process. It doesn't reflect anything negative about you. It's, you know, just what happens to your body and you should ask that and your provider actually should ask you first. And if they don't, bring it up. And if they don't give you the information, you know, work harder on it or find another provider or read your books and then come back with focused questions. Yeah. That's a good point. And I mean, I for so many things, I try to tell people, particularly like in some of the other disease states that I've worked in. And again, this is not a disease. It's just a regular time of life. But when you're having, you know, conversations with your clinicians, sometimes it's helpful to write the questions down before you go in, yeah. because we get caught up in the conversation or we can tell that our, our doctor is busy and, you know, needs to move on. And then so you just don't ask the questions. So sometimes just having a little checklist, like I need to ask about these three things before I leave you know, has helped sometimes. And I think, as you said, providers would welcome that, right? They, they would. I would recommend, though, that if you're having significant problems with menopause, that you not schedule your annual well woman visit that's going to take a certain period of time and then try and throw all those questions in at the end. That's a good point. Yes. What, what, so would that just be a separate saying? So again, because we normally just do our well women, we would call back and say we're having specific issues and we'd like a longer appointment? Yeah. So we have handouts to give in the office if people say that they're having menopausal issues. We'll make telemedicine appointments. Um, sometimes they'll just make a double appointment that says menopausal issues and annual. Quick questions you should always ask. Absolutely. Okay. But if you want a discussion about it and and you want a good answer, then you should allow for time for that. 
That's a good point. That's a very good point. Be respectful of what we've actually scheduled time for. What are some of the most important health issues women need to be aware of as they approach, as they're in perimenopause and then approaching menopause? So two big ones, I think. One is that um, the risk for heart disease starts to increase after menopause. Prior Mm -hmm. to that, you have estrogen, which is user-friendly. And the reason women have less heart disease before the age of 50 than men is because of the estrogen. Once you run out of that, then your cholesterol starts to go up. There is age, there is weight gain that is aggravated at menopause, but also just comes with aging. So you combine that, and then maybe five, 10 years later, your risk factor for heart disease is crept up to that of men with hypertension, diabetes, mm-hmm. um, and high cholesterol. So that's the time to really rein in on um, those kinds of health issues that you can do lifestyle things to uh, mitigate. That's really good. And then um, osteoporosis, the other one, Um, your bones are protected by osteoporosis. I mean, by from osteoporosis by estrogen, men are protected with testosterone, which they never stop making. So they have less likelihood of getting osteoporosis. But starting from uh, menopause, women start to lose bone. And depending on how much they had to begin with and their family history and other things that increase their risk, they're looking at 10 to 15 years later having significant bone loss if proactive steps are not taken. Right. Yeah. And something, those are two very big ones that we have to worry about at, at midlife. And I think, and I don't think women, as we approach midlife, are taught that, that we should start thinking about these things, you know? And I think that's one of the things we talked about earlier about the confusion of information about what's happening to my body and where do we go from here? And then to realize, oh, these are significant changes, you know, and we have to try to find out how to mitigate the, pos- the potential for, um, things. What are some of the frequent questions you get from patients going through menopause or approaching menopause? And how do you respond? You mentioned that the book came about from like those repeat questions. Yeah. What are what are some of those? Well, some of them are the hot flashes and insomnia. Insomnia hmm. is a big deal these days just for our population in general. We're, we're at warp speed. And so it's not relegated just to menopause. But a lot of that can be associated with night sweats, even subliminal night sweats. And hmm. um, one of the more difficult things that women have is being able to function all day if they can't sleep at night. So that's one of it. Vaginal dryness, difficulty with intercourse, which is probably the least likely thing for people to bring up Yeah, because they're embarrassed and because they, they think they should be sex kittens all of their lives. And so it's important to get comfortable with that. And there are numbers of things you can do to help with that. Yeah. And the insomnia stuff, that's something I even I found for myself, I, thankfully, not going through the night sweats, but, and the insomnia, I fall asleep, but I can't stay asleep. And it's not a wet night sweat that's wet, waking me or whatever, but just constant interruption during my sleep. Is that, annoying? is that, men- and I keep saying to myself, this must be menopause, you know? Yeah. I mean, every menopausal woman wakes at four o'clock in the morning and looks at her alarm clock and says, why? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So actively, you may well find, though, that you were having some minor sweats that kind of brought you deep sleep, because eventually then it will, when you wake up, you'll notice that you're glistening, and then you'll wake up noticing that you're wet. Yeah. So... And that's, I guess, what I expect, right? I, I think like, you know, you've heard the stories, you're going to be soaked through and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's like, well, I'm 
I'm a sweaty girl on a normal day kind of thing, whatever. But I haven't found like any of those kind of things where I'm like really drenched in my clothes kind of thing, whatever. But the interrupted sleep is just obnoxious, as you said. And I I really, I feel bad for the women who wake up and are doing that and then drenched in their, you know, whatever they're wearing. I can't even imagine that kind of pain and stuff, which is crazy. And the vaginal dryness, like you said, I think women are, you know, again, we're not as comfortable talking about sexual health after a certain age. And I think that's, you know, changing a little bit in society. Obviously, we see a lot, um, a lot of women, what used to be considered older, uh, when you look at JLo now in her early 50s and think, really, that's not sexy. I think that's pretty sexy. I think women are starting to realize, oh, we don't have to completely shut down after, uh, after our reproductive years are over. But when those changes happen and you're not responding the way you normally do, that's hard. And again, I think sometimes we maybe turn to our friends or your family even maybe to ask the question versus our doctor who could actually provide solutions on how to help with that, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, it's really something that I'm trying to get women more comfortable with. And I, I've sort of said with the National Menopause Foundation, too, I want to have that information available on our website. So if someone's not comfortable talking about it or doesn't live in the kind of circles that I do where my friends talk about things about menopause regularly, and I'm very comfortable with my clinician, where do women go, you know, to get that type of information, you know? And we often say the same thing. If you're not getting that kind of care from your clinician, find another doctor. But I know in my hometown, there was one gynecologist. Everyone went to that gynecologist. So that telling those women, find another provider is really not realistic for some, you know? So we have to provide that information in other ways. And I hope that that we'll be able to do that, that kind of stuff. Is there anything else that, that you think women should, as they approach menopause and as they're going through menopause, should know that you know, we haven't touched on that is important for women to keep in mind? Yeah, a couple of things. Uh, weight gain is another huge issue. People who take hormones say the hormones put their weight on and people who don't take hormones say that the not taking them put it on. But there's a natural increase in weight if you just spend maybe 20 minutes one day just looking at the hips and um, waist of a 20-year-old, a 30-year-old, a 40-year-old, and a 50-year-old. But it seems to escalate at menopause and the distribution of the weight changes. So it's right there in your middle, just looking at yeah. it. Yeah. That's really strange. And it's sort of what they call it the menopause belly, you yeah. know, and that the, the kind of, is it the, the fat sort of shifts off the hips into the belly thing, or are we gaining more weight in the belly? It's both. And oh. it just literally shifts there. If you remember, if you were breastfeeding, you, your estrogen levels are low then, and the same change happens in your body. It's sort of a menopausal body momentarily. It's just in your gut. Um, but you're thinking, oh, well, I just had a baby. That's right. Right. But so it's it's the same thing. And and I have many patients who have really been stringent about keeping their weight the way it is with exercise and diet, and they still get that pot. And there's that part there's not a lot you can do about. Right, right. But it's letting people know that it's normal, right? And that, you Absolutely. know, don't kill yourself trying to get that flat tummy again. Yeah. So for some people it's just not gonna be possible, you know? And I want to say something trying to get to the point where we sort of celebrate the fact that we've made it. Like we said, you know, generations past didn't make it to menopause. So if we're healthy enough and we make it to menopause, it should be something that we celebrate and, you know, look forward to this time versus dreading it. You know, that's going to be the big switch for all of Mm -hmm. us, but it should be the most empowering 
time of our lives, you know, that we've we've made it to this part. We're at, you know, for many people, their children are grown, you know, mean, I'm just getting started. But, you know, for most people, that's where it is. And it's kind of like this exciting opportunity to kind of think about what we, where do we go from here if we stay healthy? And I think that's why it's so important that women seek out their gynecologist, because this is something you should not stop once your reproductive years have stopped, right? That is so well said. And it was not until the 1900s that the average woman lived to the age of menopause. So this is a relatively new phenomenon. And so we are learning and we are coming to celebrate that time. We don't have to worry about reproduction. And um, we are strong and vital and still very healthy. So we just need to take better care of ourselves or, you know, avail ourselves of the appropriate information and be wise. We get wisdom at this point. That's right. I listen, there's so many positives. And I try to tell the younger people that I work with and stuff that every decade for me has gotten better. And I can document exactly how and why. And so again, that, you know, when we start to approach that, oh, I'm going to be 30. My 30s were fantastic. And then they're like, oh, I'm going to be 40. And I'm like, my 40s were fantastic, you know, and I intend my 50s to be fantastic. And so, you know, I think being that kind of example for people is important too. And when they go to their clinician and they get that positive response versus, oh, yes, it's menopause or just deal with it. You know, when they get a positive response from from their doctor saying, oh, we can, we'll get this through this. This is just temporary. You know, those kind of things are so important. So delighted that there are experts like you out there to guide women through this. And as I mentioned, I will definitely make sure that we post links to your website. Um, there's all kinds of great question, um, questions and answers on there. I love your pearls, as you say, the pearls of wisdom about what women uh, really need to know. So that's fantastic information. And it's been such a pleasure speaking with you. It's a pleasure speaking with you. I'm so happy you're out there dispensing useful, caring, factual information for women. Thank you. I really appreciate that. So if you enjoyed this episode of The Positive Pause as much as I have, please do two things. One, subscribe to The Positive Pause podcast so you never miss an episode. And two, please share information about this podcast with your family and friends. Thanks again to my guest, Dr. Heather Johnson at AskDrHeatherJohnson.com. And thanks to you for listening. We hope you'll tune in to another episode of The Positive Pause.